Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Did you know I've had my podcast for 15 years? Do you know that it is the most downloaded sports podcast of all time? Did you know I have guests from the sports world, from the culture world, people who work for The Ringer, people outside The Ringer, celebrities, experts, you name it. It's on my podcast three times a week, late Sunday night, late Tuesday night, late Thursday night, the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome back to Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Networks. I'm Musil Kwanga. <laughs> the next one that works. <laughs> oh my God. Listen. Uh, I'm Ryan Hunt and I'm leaving to pursue other creative paths. <laughs> I've had enough. <laughs> I've had enough <laughs> of this. <laughs> um, we still need to design a name. I just think we say Stadio. Stadio. It's Stadio. Welcome back to Stadio. Welcome back Co- to the Stadio podcast. Welcome back. Yeah. Stadio della Musa. Stadio de like, Wow, now there, now there. There we go. <laughs> Moose is just <laughs> like, you've just given me an idea. Created a monster. <laughs> How's tricks, man? Good, actually. Um, very, very nice. Uh, looking forward to a lovely weekend in Berlin. Weather's beautiful here. Nice and peaceful. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of coffee in the system. So raring to go. Good, good. I'm recording in an undisclosed, no, hotel room in an undisclosed location. I was going to say an undisclosed hotel room. But that sounds very weird. It does sound weird, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, the construction has followed me around. It has. There's construction going on, so apologies if you hear some noise in the background. And you've got some at your place yeah, as well. Yeah, scaffolding. This place has been done up. Um, windows being done up. Peek behind the curtain. Grind never uh, stops. Got to keep building. Exactly. Grind date. The grind date. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> the grind date. <laughs> Uh, anyway, right, let's do some admin quick. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying Still. well. Uh, St- uh, Righty's House has its own podcast feed. You can go and search for Righty's House on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen to Stadio at the moment and you listen to this, you don't have to do anything. It's just going to become Stadio, a football podcast. That's what the feed is going to become. For those who are asking, yeah, we're all still on the ringer. Everything's fine. <laughs> Bad news for Musa. Much easier to find. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, other than that check the ringer.com check the stadio outros playlist on Spotify all the tunes we play on each episode newest one is at the top anything else you want to shout out me sir admin wise or shall we no I mean just in a, as a general point I managed to successfully recreate my mum's amazing Ugandan dish it's like a stew with like a mackerel so that's the big news out this week it's not wow. related but it's my own news but yeah when can we expect the 800 word essay on it 
<laughs> Listen, one day I'll unleash my own project. Musok Wonga. The world will create. Recipe vulture. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Go to just listen to Stadia. She'll be like, oh, you stole my recipe. Don't you share it? So no, <laughs> Don't you dare Corella's house anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, right. So today we're going to round up some midweek fixes very, very quickly. And then obviously talk about the transfer window, which is slammed shut. So let's get into it. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. All right, man. Another win for Manchester United. Three in a row. And uh, I actually think that Ten Hag deserves quite a lot of credit for this because this is obviously not how he wants to play football. But after the start they had and the criticism that was coming, it looked very, very, very grim. And the fact that he has managed to steady the ship a little bit, they've looked tight at the back and they're just basically playing their way into... I want to say safety, but not safety in a relegation sense. I mean, the safety to then open up a little bit. Mm. Wisdom there. lovely goal for Jaden Sancho. Really lovely finish, the way he cut in. A really nice link up. You know, this is actually uh, reminiscent of some of United's preseason. The really good transitions from deep, um, from the right flank into Sancho. And Sancho cutting in from the left side to finish which is going to be important for him because we're going to have these inverted wingers, I think, with Anthony on the right flank and Sancho on the left. Not the worst configuration when you've got fullbacks pushing on. So, yeah, um, really good for United. Really good for Sancho in particular. That's two and three now. And he needed that. He needed that run of, of goals. He's a good footballer. Yeah, he's a very good footballer. He's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about Manchester United's new big signing later on in the show. Um, Liverpool got a late win over Newcastle and it was still within the time that should have been added on because of the time that a lot of Newcastle players spent cramping, cramping Playing, their own style great, by the yeah, looks of it. Yeah, would, would, would have been a great point for them, won all at Anfield. It would have been. You saw from the, it was funny, I, when Klopp, when the winner went in, Klopp's celebration was a little muted considering how important these points were. This was a very you know important win. He was thinking of Keyson. He was thinking of Richard Keyson. <laughs> this was a to... huge win for Liverpool, actually, I think, in terms of Of course of the it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a massive They couldn't win. afford to drop any more. Carvalho with the late winner. And I will say that the, the real um, praise I'd like to reserve here is for Alexander Izak, his first game for Newcastle. Really nice finish for his opener. Could have scored a second, was narrowly offside and should have stayed onside. And actually, the defenders were playing as if he was on mm. and they were utterly bamboozled. It's not the not the last time this season, maybe even this month, that we will see defenders on their backside sliding past the Isaac because he's got the quick feet, but also the decisive finishing. So I really hope that he pushes on here um, because it's a lot of money to uh, a lot of money to have over your head. So I hope it works out for him. It's not a lot of money for Newcastle's owners, though. So we'll it get... is. It is not. It is not. It is not. Um, Arsenal beat Villa two one and should have been out of sight at halftime. That first half from Arsenal was so good, and. Lots of love for Chaka as well. Well, he's just a good footballer, man. There's a reason why. Do you know what? 
I'm gonna I might write a thing on Jacka and McTominay about how like those are two examples of how no one outside of football actually knows anything about football. That's interesting. The Venn diagram of how much they're trusted by managers, mm. multiple managers, and how criticized they are by fans is, you know, it's like a circle. Yeah, then that's true. There's a curious case. And I, I only ever tweeted about Granit Xhaka once. I wrote a little thread on him saying that he's never, it was, it was following some numbers from, um, about some like his progressive passes and stuff. And I was like, he is a really curious player because he, his numbers suggest that he's way better than he is, but yet no one will, no one will hear that. And this was, I think this was like 18 months ago or a year ago or something like that. And basically the thing I learned is that I was never tweeting about Granit Xhaka ever again because my mentions were a fucking mess for ages. And I didn't even say anything that wild. I was literally just like, he's never as bad as you think he is, but he's never, he's not going to be otherworldly. But this season, this slight move up into a more advanced role just suits him so well because it hides the part of these games that get exposed in that deeper, that deeper role. So it's just smart from Arteta. I don't know. I've always been biased because he's the player I remember from Gladbach. And so I always have that, my initial introduction to Granit Xhaka when he moved to Arsenal I was really excited I was like oh look oh Same. wow like, I love yeah. watching him there he will be great there Gladbach. and then he goes to Arsenal and things don't work out necessarily the same way as they do but I'm like but I always knew that footballer was there the thing with McTominay is the challenge I always had was like his, his I think McTominay's um, peak has always been more obvious to me mm. whereas Xhaka I could see Xhaka in like a variety of midfields and really thriving and this is not to knock McTominay it's more like I could see Granite Chak in quite a few midfields that might surprise people and be like, oh, he'd work really well there. Like if you put him there alongside like a more traditional stopper, for example, he can push on and be more expansive. I think he could thrive in quite a few midfields. Like someone like Napoli, he'd be flying. Napoli, Atalanta. Um, yeah, those kinds of teams which they play with a greater fluidity and the more fluid Arsenal have become, the better he's looked. It's no coincidence, actually. The more expansive the style, the more he's been allowed some freedom, he's flourished. Mm. So yeah, anyway, that's, um, that's that on that. Yeah, I mean, Villa were just, I think we're quite lucky to have the margin as much as it was. And I think the, the, the actual scoreline hid just how poor they were. I don't think they offered much at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think that goal was quite lucky to stand. I think it should have been a foul. It would have been soft, but it, I still think it was a foul. If you look at the, the laws, I think it's a foul. In fact, the two VAR decisions I actually tweeted about this was so bizarre to me that it did make me consider calling the ringer and see if I could switch to F1. Full time. <laughs> yeah. Because it was just, I, I just couldn't figure out like the Mings thing on, on uh, Tyrone Mings on Bakayo Saka in the first half when he literally just picks him up and moves him out of the way. Mm. And Bakayo Saka is shielding the ball within playing distance, which is the, in the law as well. Um, it's just a penalty. Right. I just don't understand how it's not a penalty. I think the thing that, the only reason that people, I think, assume it's not a penalty is that it is so utterly, biz- like, it's so unlike anything that you're used to seeing happen in a penalty box. Right. That people actually can't, they can't process it. It's like, um, we were talking about it before we were recording, like about, it's like watching a dog ride past on a unicycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and like, you're a bit that, like, didn't that didn't happen. You're a bit like, what the hell? Like you don't, because it's so unlike anything you've ever seen before. Mm your brain assumes that it must be normal. Right. You know? But actually, I think both, I think both were the wrong calls. I th- and I can't understand. And I know a lot of people listening to this will disagree. And to be honest, I'm in one of those moods this week when 
Actually, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't care. I, don't <laughs> care. I, I genuinely don't. I think both were completely incorrect. And if they'd happened the other way around, as an Arsenal fan, I would have been like, we have really got away with two mega big decisions there because right, they right. were huge. And also I just think like Villa, we've we've given Villa a lot of credit, I think. And I, I think we've been I think we have a soft spot for Villa as a club. Mm. And we right. really wanted to, you know, we, we've referenced a lot of the time you know, that they're one of the few English sides to win the European Cup and that we really want them to return to like the top level. But with the players that they have, what they offered was so, so poor, actually. I've, I really felt during parts of this game, I was like, this isn't, this I, is not yeah. fun. This is not good, actually. I think with the profile, now, oh yeah, we've been, thinking about this for a while, I think with the profile of playmaker that Aston Villa have, they should be playing a more expansive game. Mm. The problem is, and I think you know, we, we've maybe discussed this before, the problem is that you look at Gerrard's best games with Rangers, they're, they're, they're defined by strong defensive performance. Mm. They're not defined by playing on the front foot, you know, and you're playing in like, you know, Europa League competition. Those are the performances that really impressed me early on with Gerrard. When you're playing against opposition with greater resources, and obviously I think, you know, Europe was a preview of this. Can you play expansive football in the face of that? And that's the thing. Like it is, it takes a certain profile of manager to do that. Um, a certain enterprise, not necessarily a certain courage, but a certain enterprise. And I'm not sure that he has that in him to put together these complex attacking systems against teams mm. with superior resources. And I, I worry for him in that respect, because that's the thing that's going to get Me tested too. time and again. People start knowing you're not going to come at them. And like the XG against the teams they've lost against, you know, the the creator chances is not not impressive. So Yeah, I mean Arsenal had twenty two shots on target, three big chances, two point five six XG. Villa had 0.45 expected goals, four total shots, zero big chances. Three shots on target the entire game. I think he's really struggling to knit it together. And yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if he if he will do that over time. I'm concerned in that respect. But the no, players are there. The players are there. Yeah, they really are. And Man City beat Forest six nil. Patrick from Miller. Erling Haaland in the first half. Perfect hat trick, I believe. Right foot, left foot header. The third um, goal, the headed the head tennis was unbelievable. I mean, he's that's just an unbelievable like, goal. Yeah, but like the way they the way that City built that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, a header across. Was, yeah. yeah. This was very good with the players that they rested as well and how it's they like rotated. Beach volleyball, yeah. Beach Quite volleyball. scary, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it's a shame for Julian Alvarez because he got like two really good goals in this game as well yeah. and would have been the story had it not been for Haaland. Cancelo with the other one, but um yeah, very comfortable for Man City. Are they almost playing a four four two there? Almost no, like four think... three three, four three three. Like Alvarez is either side and Foden either side of Holland. Yeah, yeah. Alvarez it was more like a, a three. Wider. It wasn't really. A, it wasn't really a two. It was more like no. a three, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, West Ham drew with with Spurs in obviously a very heated fixture. Um, Tilo Kera got an own goal. He's not had the best start to life at West Ham. No. But um, Thomas Tuchek got West Ham back into the game. It was really good. Spurs. This feels like the first time that Spurs is, we've, we've talked about Spurs haven't really lit it up yet. Mm. And, but the, how that was quite ominous because they were still winning games and picking up points even when they didn't really feel like they were playing that well. Mm. This felt like the first time they'd been checked a little bit. Yeah. And I think probably out of all the games so far, I think this is probably the one that would concern Conte the most. But also... Come the end of the season, I don't think, I know West Ham has started slow, but I don't think a point away at West Ham will go down as a dreadful yeah, result. result. Yeah, No. Uh, Bournemouth nil, Wolves nil, and then on uh, Tuesday night, obviously, a huge win for Saints. Southampton beating 
Chelsea two one, and were good value for it. I thought they they obviously let Chelsea have a load of the ball, but they didn't. I don't think Chelsea created a huge amount more than Southampton did. Um, but that's a Southampton have had a decent window as well, and I think I'm encouraged for Southampton. Yeah, I'm encouraged because I was a little bit worried it was going to go quite a bad way, and. It might have been the end of Ralph's time there, but I don't know. So far, I mean, they're they're level on points with Chelsea in the table, and they're above. I think they're above them just on the head to head because, or goals scored. Sorry. So um, it's looking all right so far. Chelsea, on the other hand, Tuchel is sounding a little bit like Tuchel has sounded at previous clubs when things have looked like it's done. I'm a bit concerned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, the Sando Bamiang. We'll talk about that in part two, but um, yeah, bit concerned. Yeah, yeah, I am. I, it, the players who've gone out, the players who've come in, um, I, I, don't, I don't see the overarching fit for a lot of this stuff. I don't see it knitting together. I don't mm. see the problem. The problems they had prior to the window have not been decisively addressed at the end of the window, in my opinion. Mm. I agree. Um, Fulham beating Brighton 2-1. Love that for them. That's a, Love that that's for another sign of how good Fulham are, man. Like, and a sign of how good Brighton are. Isn't it so funny? Like beating Brighton two one at home is is a strong look. It's Brighton's first defeat of the season. Remember? Yeah, really good team. Yeah, they they are just a really good team. Yeah. Um, Fulham have only lost once, and that's to Arsenal. Um, so maybe that result isn't aging that well, uh, aging that badly. Sorry. Not at all. Um, Palace beating Brentford. Uh, sorry, they didn't. Palace drew with Brentford one all. Lovely Wolf Zaha goal. And he is still at Palace. He is not going to Chelsea. And Leeds drawing one all with Everton in a game that was there was more there was more time wasting chat in this game. Big big week for time wasting in the Premier League. The fastest league in the world. Where the ball is <laughs> never in play. <laughs> <laughs> um can we go to Italy very, very quick? Because the top four, if it stays like this at the end of season, they might have to rebrand Steria to Steria Stad- Serie Stadio because Atalanta are top, Roma are second, Love Inter are third, and Napoli are fourth. Um, all the vitamins there. All of the vitamins. While Atalanta me- are top, let me just quickly mention uh, the departure of Joseph Bilicic yeah. from Atalanta. Saddening, uh, a wonderful, wonderful footballer. Um, I look, I, I often mention sort of Valeron at Deportivo and I think that he's a similar kind of player in terms of just like tall, angular, slightly awkward looking playmaker until the ball arrives at his feet and then everyone is enchanted and a spectacular player. David Amoyal wrote on Twitter that, you know, a true genius and made on, on his day the most entertaining player in Serie A. And I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with that. Like just, I was, I was really sad actually when I saw him coming out onto the pitch and being clapped by the, his teammates and then his supporters who obviously adore him. I, I got a bit tearful. I was like, this is a, this is a player who's given so much to so many supporters. Has obviously had challenges off the field. And I think it's one of those ones where if we knew the full story of what he'd experienced in the last few years, mm-hmm. we would be amazed that he'd given us so much. Rather like actually Paul Pogba in a different context, you know, who's going through all that stuff with his family at the moment. Um, you know, Ilicic's struggles reminded us and his successes as well. They remind us actually of, um, you know, just what footballers go through off the field. 
here's mm-hmm. the thing as well. Here's a player whose peak was actually stolen from him by the pandemic. Yeah. You know, he was absolutely yes, flying. Yes, that Champions absolutely. League. Absolutely. Yeah. Atlanta Champions League, four goals in that one game and just absolutely flying. You know, same with Atleti as well. Like that Champions League is the big what if. Yeah. The pandemic doesn't strike then. What Atleti do in the Champions League, they just, they finally figured it out. Atlanta were absolutely flying and Atlanta were just, they were in a situation where they were so good. They go out to PSG, right? Bit of a damp squib that Champions League in the end. But the momentum they had going into COVID was just, was spectacular. And he was the head of that. Mm. Um, so yeah. yeah, they went out Sh- in the quarterfinal, didn't they? 2-1 because two, two yeah. it was the single leg. Yeah, single leg. Yeah, because we said actually if, they had, if there was two legs in that, then they might have gone. Yeah, the way they were playing. Oh, but yeah, shout out to them. Yeah, speaking of PSG, they're top of league. Uh, but league has really, really fun at the top. PSG, Lens and Marseille all win in midweek, all on 13 points. Lyon also won in midweek on 10 points. And uh, Nicola Pepe got a goal for, scored a penalty for Nice in the week that he joined on loan. And uh, yeah, Liga is looking, all the leagues are looking pretty, pretty fun at the moment. Yeah, I know yeah, we're still in the early stages. I really enjoy those early stages when everything can just go Yeah, you're shaking, everything's shaking out, yeah. Yeah. Um, and one final shout before we move on to the transfer window. Shout to Ireland, whose yes. women reached the World Cup playoff. Great win for, for them. First time they'll play for a place in the World Cup. I think it's January the game. We'll definitely touch on that on Wrighty's House and Stadio down the line. But um, yeah, congrats to them. Um, anything else you want to shout out from midweek or should we move on to the transfer stuff? All good so far. All good. Yeah. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. And what do you want to begin with transfers? Because I don't think we need to go through club by club or player by player, but who do you think had great windows? In fact, before we put our own, maybe we can get people to tweet us at Stadio, let us know who you think had the best transfer window, and we'll try and read a couple out on the next show. I think that uh, PSG had a great window. I agree. In terms of their present and future, because what I mean, in terms of their direction, this is the most sensible transfer window I've seen from PSG since the new ownership. It's so sensible because you strengthen midfield, Carlos Soler, Renato Sanchez, Fabian Ruiz, who's just an unbelievable signing. The fact he was so little contested, I just can't believe. Bettina as well. Like 
just bringing those players to make the team into a team, to connect the defence and attack. Because the problem with PSG for so long was the connective tissue. You know, there's a real problem with ball carrying. And now I've given Verratti so much support in there and he can just play his game, sliding around, doing his tackles, doing his, not, not hero ball, but like, you know, just playing a game where he can be more expansive. Um, so I thought PSG were really impressive. I liked Southampton's business. Um, I did as well, actually. I thought they had really a really good it. Yeah, Especially the uh, Maitland-Niles signing. He's only mm. just gone 25. And Hazen Huddle's talking about his potential and developing him into a position where he's wanted to play his whole career. This has always been the challenge. You know, the wing-back thing wasn't for him and playing on the flanks. He did it, but he wasn't happy doing it. And now, like, you know, Southampton is a perfect platform to, to, to really succeed. So, yeah, so PSG and Southampton are the two that really stand out. Uh, and I think as well, just to throw in as well, not a huge amount of business, but Brighton bringing Billy Gilmore for nine million for four years is just wonderful because, again, that further evolution in their style. Rather like when Brentford brought in Ericsson, um, you know, last year, then bring in Gilmore, just have that more expansive chance creation. We joke about them like being the XG gods and creating chances, but I think it gives them a yet further dimension of creativity and, and tempo and ball, ball possession. So, yeah, really, really excited for those three teams in particular. Well, not excited for PSG, but excited certainly for Southampton and Brighton. I, I think, yeah, I think there are a lot of teams who have had good windows and quite sensible windows, but I think it's hard to find anyone in the Premier League, for example, who's had such a big window that it's massively shifted the needle for them. Mm. Maybe apart from the people who needed to buy big, like Fulham, I think maybe have actually done quite well. Yes, yes, yes. Picked up some good, uh, deadline day stuff it's deadline day stuff like it was <laughs> like it was like a shopping yeah. sale People, but with Premier League experience players, as well great yeah. experience yeah Willian obviously coming in because uh, I would come in Dan James Dan James came yeah, in Dan James I love that in. I love that signing for them you brought Shane Duffy in on loan which I actually think is quite a very it's quite a smart signing to be honest as a backup from Brighton yeah, yeah I agree looking around Europe it's really interesting because there is a case to be made that for all the shit that Barcelona have taken in the summer. Yeah. They've kind of pretty much managed to get, managed to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. Bar maybe, but I think the only reason that they wanted to move De Jong on, for example, is to get everything done, but they've managed to get everything done. Yeah. Pretty much. Hector Bellerin's gone there, which maybe we'll save the Hector chat for Variety's House next week because you and I are on Variety's House next week. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just think that's, I want to talk about Hector because he's just so brilliant and I'm so happy that he's he's got a good move and somewhere he's going to play, somewhere he knows. He's going back home essentially. That's yeah, that's great. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't going to get a game at Arsenal, which was a shame from my perspective because I still really liked him as a player. I understand why. But we'll save all that for Wright's house next week. But you could say that they, I mean, I think the squad has got a lot better at Barcelona. They've also got rid of a lot of people that they clearly didn't want anymore. I don't agree with necessarily the way that they did it all at all, as we've mentioned. And I'm also not entirely sure if they needed to do a lot of the business that they embarked on doing. But they got it done. They did. And big gamble for them. But we said this, like, again, it's high risk, high reward. The quality of player they brought in, Kunde looked brilliant in his first game. Um, you know, very early days still, obviously, but he looked brilliant. But also in signing him, they weakened Sevilla, a major rival. Mm. which I think is a, it's a double whammy or something like that. Obviously Lewandowski needs no introduction. Rafinha is going to be a very good option because they're going to play so many games, Barcelona. 
that all looks good. One thing I want to do, a quick shout for another team in Europe, actually, that did a great uh, transfer window is actually Napoli. So Baratelia, they got um, Raspadori from Sassuolo and Ndombele from Spurs. And in terms of their profile, those players, and the fluid style Napoli play, if ben, I mean, it's the rejuvenation they needed. They signed, I mean, the, the, the brilliance of their transfer window business in Napoli is that they were really, really due uh, a renovation. The old guard had gone out and they need to like bring in the kind of the new blood and they've done that really well. And those players all have a kind of point to prove. They've got a big platform and a point to prove. So yeah, really excited for them. Um, but yeah, shout out I to think Napoli. Real Madrid deserve a shout because yeah, yeah. while a lot of the big clubs in Europe were still scrambling around for things late in the window, they got everything done early. They oh, got yeah. everything done quietly. I mean, Rudiger, Rudiger and Chiromene are serious acquisitions. I mean, that's the thing. They got everything done early and they yeah. didn't really, they got everything done quietly and they moved, they got 51 million pounds for a 30 year old midfielder that they were already underway with the succession plan. Yeah. That's, that's really not bad at all. Real I mean, did well. Yeah. Real did well. Um, Shall we talk about Anthony to Manchester United? Because I think this, yeah. I think Manchester United's business and this transfer in particular is quite symbolic for the Premier League's transfer window as a whole. So mm. I just want to read you this. For the summer 2022, this is from The Independent, highest gross spend in the European, in top five European leagues, Bundesliga had a £417 million Spend. These are all in sterling. Yeah. La Liga four three five million. Liga four seven six million. Serie A six four five million. And the Premier League one point nine billion. So the Premier League had a gross spend of one point three billion more than any other league in Europe. <sighs> Emphasis on um, gross. In terms of net. The Premier League had a net spend of one point... This is from Miguel Delaney's article in The Independent. The Premier League had a net spend of £1.13 billion. The next closest competition was La Liga with £40 million. And after that, Russia, Turkey and Cyprus. Wow. I don't know if you want to go there yet or do you want to talk about Anthony first? We talk about Anthony as a metaphor. So Anthony, you know, Anthony's... Um Look at his goal record at Ajax. He scored 25 goals in 82 games and all appearances for Ajax. And he cost Manchester United 100 million, well, close to 100 million euros. You know, the add-ons as well would take it to 100 million if he gets the add-ons. He turns 23 in February. He's still only 22. Some might say, oh, resale value. No, actually, you paid 100 million for a player who hasn't, and this is, this, I don't want to sound like a criticism but, of Anthony. It's not, this is not a criticism of Anthony, actually. No, it's not. No, this isn't. This, this, is, this, the player, is, this is about. The, the individual player doesn't dictate this their is own about, price. This, this is about, this is about the pressure you're putting on a footballer. There's a, the pressure you put on a footballer at that point, whether they can handle it or not, you're leaving it to them. That is a huge amount to put on the shoulders of a player at that level. And also in terms of what it means for transfer prices and inflation, the direction really concerns me. It really concerns me because what he'll be expected to deliver coming in the door. But also as well, what it says about inequality at football clubs. You know, Manchester United were really, really struggling. They lost 4-0 to Brentford, 4-0 down at half time. And the reason why United are ultimately always going to case, they can go out and spend 
what, 150 million on two players? Just like that. And like some might say, oh, it's football, it's capitalism, there's no right. Well, okay, like that does not stop me from expressing severe discomfort about this. And the thing about United is it's so weird. We talk about them every week, like how they're doing. Can you really provide any sensible assessment of a club that has the ability to go out and do that? You can't really. And this is what sometimes makes discussion of football trafficking the absurd. Because when you talk about, let's say, particularly European competition, oh, that team got done 4-0 by that team. It's like, hang on a minute. Like it's financial doping at a certain point where you're just looking at it. And that sounds like a bit of a strong thing to say, but All right, the only reason I mentioned, I, me- right. I, met- I mentioned this in relation to, you know, European competition, people might talk about clubs in Europe not being able to compete and going, oh yeah, well, but, well, well, yeah, but turnover is so, when you can drop more money on a single player than a large European club might have in annual turnover. You look at it and just go, can we meaningfully analyze this fixture? Let's deal with that next because I feel like we kind of touched on it a little bit when we did our defense of the Bundesliga last week. Mm. I mean, it's kind of, we've been talking about this for a long time yeah. about the Premier League just operating in its own little bubble. I think Casemiro is a good signing. And I think. Manchester United needed him I think it allows them to put a player next to Fred who has played a lot with Fred yeah and has actually had seemingly had a better relationship with Fred than and has caused Fred or not caused Fred but helped Fred brought, to maybe brought the best format him yeah yeah exactly um, you know much like we talked about Pogba and Kante mm. for France um, I think Real Madrid have also done amazingly well to get that amount of money for him. Mm. And, but Manchester United are paying him an obscene amount of money in wages. So, yeah, I'm still not entirely sure if Martinez was the right person to bring in for that amount of money. I think he's a good signing. I don't know what you think. I think it's a lot of money to spend on someone like that. I actually think Martin Dubravka is a it's a slightly odd one, but a kind of I would a say sensible had, backup signing. I, actually. I would say they've had a good window, actually. I yeah. would say that the, yeah, the fees in terms of the fit, I, I like Martinez. Um, I actually like Martinez and Varane as a pairing, to be honest with you. I really I like agree. it. I yeah. really like it. Actually, you've got an element of PK Mascarano, to be honest, okay. in terms of profile. Okay. I see that. Um, so I would say Martinez, yeah, that Martinez Varane, if they can you know, both stay fit, I l- really like that. Dubravka's great because you need De Gea to be challenged. Um, Anthony is a very, very good player. He's exceptional talent, like a, a wonderful footballer. And Casemiro is, you know, we've been saying for years, go out and buy a defence midfielder and they go, about, they go and buy the defence midfielder. There was a moment he was sitting on the bench with Cristiano Ronaldo and I was going, my goodness, it's like 10, <laughs> 10 Champions Leagues between them. And the thing about Casemiro is he's still got some, you know, really good years, you know, fitness obviously permitting. He has a couple of really good years ahead of him of form. And he's the type of player where you can kind of plug him in and, and fit pieces around him. For example, if he moves into the team alongside uh, Ericsson, he'll provide Ericsson with a lot of the protection. Ericsson needs to play a more expansive game like he did with Kroos. So in terms of options he gives you, I think it's a good window for United. Obviously resources permitting and resources do permit. They could have done more. They 
could have maybe got a more reliable goal scorer. Um, they could have maybe picked up a right back somewhere because that's maybe a problem position for them. But fundamentally, it's pretty good for them, I think. And do you think Anthony, I mean, Anthony is a left-footed, right-sided yeah. forward. Mm. So I think him on that side, Sancho on the left, makes a lot of sense. It really works. Really Particularly see the goal, see the the goal that Sancho scored, the goal against Leicester, it was about 20 minutes, coming, cutting in off the left, round the keeper. So, oh, that's the kind of run we'll be making actually a bit more um, with Anthony there. Mm. I mean, he can play on the left. He saw him do that for Dortmund. He, you know, he's talented there. So yeah, I think it works well. And they can always switch, to be honest. They can always switch. They're smart enough to do that. So yeah, it's a, it's a good look. I mean, Ten Hag obviously loves him. Mm. And so I think getting, getting two players that Ten Hag has worked with at Ajax is no, isn't, you know, it's no fluke. Yeah. Um, and another player that Ten Hag beat in their own backyard with a great, <laughs> with a great Ajax side a couple uh-huh. of years ago. Probably, uh, you know, probably got a lot of respect of him for that. So I think they have three really good signings. I think not getting rid of Ronaldo, ideally, they probably would have. Yeah, I think to. so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that he's still there, I don't think is really an issue in the short term because results have been good. So there's been, it's been relatively quiet, I actually think, about the around the discourse of Ronaldo being on the bench. Or maybe I've just not been paying attention to it. It seems to be pretty Give it time. The discourse will always return. Give it time. True. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see see how Anthony gets on at United and basically what this United is going to look like come, you know, November when everything stops for the World Cup. Because I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to cop out of making a prediction or anything, but I just don't, I'm finding it difficult to see what they're going to be. Mm. Yeah, likewise, likewise. But I'm not saying that that's, a bad thing. I think that's actually quite sensible from Ten Hag, who's taking it slowly. And yeah, I've been impressed by the way he's handled the last couple of weeks. To be honest, really yeah, impressed. I have. Yeah. I have because those yeah. first two games, we were like, he looks like he's already thrown people under, and he's just like, yeah, he looked like was when he said that thing about running mm. all that distance, and then mm. it turned out he'd run the distance himself. I was like, do you know what? I really rate him for that because actually, yeah. he could have come out and said, we're all going to run it, but he didn't. And the genius, of the man management was to be like, this is a message for the players. So when we turn up at training, the surprise will be, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And weirdly enough, it worked out better. If he'd, if he'd said, we're all going to run 14 kilometers, it would have come out like hero ball. Mm. But he gave the message to his dressing room. And that then, if you do that, it brings them on board really quickly. And they are on board with it. And the guts to drop Maguire and Shaw, that's a lot of guts for a foreign manager to come into a club and drop two England internationals. If you think about like, what that is, they'll be like, he doesn't get the prick. Because imagine the, the backlash. Yeah, he doesn't get the Premier League or he's coming in from Holland, a small league and he's dropped. That is guts because you're upsetting those hierarchies, those pundits, all those people won't name names, but we know who they are. Like they've got a lot to say and he's come in and done that. Three wins in a row and to drop Ronaldo as well. Big, big, big deal. Big shout. Like he's done some, <laughs> he's done some extremely bold stuff. Like it isn't, these, these, these victories didn't come out of nowhere. And even the kind of, you know, the thinking to drop Fred and have McTominay alongside Ericsson. And they didn't create very much at all against Leicester in that second half. But barely anything. But it was like solid. Said, man, I'm going to do my McTominay Jacker article. Right, yeah. It needs to be done. Just makes you realise how little everyone knows about football. Yeah, absolutely. Like all of us, we don't know anything. 
Me included, yeah, me included. Yeah. Like yeah. some of the midfields I I've seen, myself, yeah. I've seen certain midfields start Champions League finals. I'm like, oh, there's no way that's going to work. And I'm like, oh, that, that really worked. <laughs> Musa. <laughs> Musa. Listen, that's um, why I'm podcasting. <laughs> we talked about Chelsea. Obviously, Aubameyang has gone to Chelsea. It's an interesting one, this. Uh, I mean, obviously, first of all, we just hope he's okay. He had a robbery in Barcelona. People broke into his home and assaulted him. Broke his jaw, apparently. See, when I saw that detail, I thought to myself, the level of, yeah, it's it's horrible. And also, look, the level of violence people are prepared to unleash they entered his home like that. Like, at some point, you're just happy that they just left with, with like, with with, with valuables. Mm. You know, you're just, and, and so for him to be out of there, I don't think is the worst thing. You know, it's nice to be clear of the scene of a face like that. But also I think as well, what this is for Chelsea, you've got Sterling, who is one of those sort of plug and play forwards. You put into a system, will start playing well pretty much immediately. Aubameyang might have an issue around chance creation. The challenge I have, I think, with Chelsea is the third member of that front three, Havertz, you know, <sighs> The combination, the chemistry is not immediately obvious to me because you had Werner in there. The thing that was great about Werner was Werner just created so much chaos in backlines. It created room for everyone else. And I'm just not sure how that front line is going to knit together. I'm not against it. I just don't, it's not immediately clear to me. And we've talked before about the Chelsea front line, the, the number nine in particular, having to kind of fend for themselves in a very particular way. Um, we've seen it so many times at Chelsea over the years that the number nines that really thrive, the players like Diego Costa, who just go in there and just bend the forward line to their will. Mm. And I just hope Aubameyang can do that. How do you feel about signing? I mean, I think the pros are obvious that Tuchel was the guy who unlocked Aubameyang, what like mm. turbocharged him in the first place. One of the best attacks Dortmund's ever had. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering whether you, he maybe recreates that Mkhitaryan Aubameyang thing with Harvards and Aubameyang. Mm, interesting and maybe moves Harvard's a little less central because the I thing think about Harvard's dynamic ball carrier who also scored goals and <sighs> Harvard's in this this iteration of Harvard's maybe it's is, Mount yeah that's a good Mount shot. actually shares a lot of a lot more similarities with that era Mkhitaryan yes. than anyone else well, on I'm, that Chelsea yes. side without question I would agree with that yeah and and he, may, loves, I think, he loves Mount he loves him and I think Mount like that trio of Mount Aubameyang and Sterling could do some real damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, again, another side that I'm not entirely sure what, how they fully look like or what they fully look like, but I'm intrigued to find out. Uh, Dennis Zakaria is an interesting signing for me because they've got him on loan. I wonder if there's a question over Kante long-term just in terms of the physical, the, in terms of the physique. Kovacic has been out. Gallagher hasn't worked that well in double pivot. And what Tuchel likes is these dynamic ball-carrying midfielders. I think Zakaria actually is the connective tissue that they need. Well, I think in, maybe in terms of a reconfiguring that midfield. I think it's the future, it's though. It's a good call. Like, the it best would midfield be, yeah. I saw was the Kante Kovacic. Does that make sense? You're right. With a, Zakaria's dynamism allows Chelsea to reconfigure that midfield in a little bit of a slightly different way. I think more, I was thinking more of a numbers thing, because mm. they are quite stacked for midfielders. They are, they are, but then you dig into like the actual resilience just because the physical, it's not a criticism of the Chelsea players, it's more like the physical um, demands that position. Mm. What Tuchel asks of a midfield 
you know, the protecting of the back three, because, you know, Thiago Silva is not the youngest. You need the dynamism in front of him and all the rest of it. And I, I think with, I always find with Jorginho, I find them a bit exposed actually over time. Yeah. You've basically got with Zakaria, a press breaking dribbler who can screen. And certainly where he started at Juventus, if he can get back to that, then I think they've got, they've got a really exciting player. And he's only 25. So I don't know. I just, it's a move that I think it's a win-win for Chelsea. It doesn't work dramatically well. They've still got depth, right? Worst case scenario. But if it works well, they've got potentially, potentially the future of their midfield. Potentially, it's again big potential. But Zachariah has been potential for a while, I think. Um, but yeah, they also picked up Wesley Fofana as well for seventy-five million pounds from Leicester. We're going to see what the fuss is about, though. Like we don't watch that much Fofana. Like I, I really like him. I don't see enough of him. And at the same time, I think it's like. Yes, it's a huge fee. And also, if you look at it in the context of a long-term replacement for like a Thiago Silva type, if you look at it as a long-term replacement, they're investing in a few, but it's like the Chiromani signing at Real Madrid. You're future-proofing your defence in the same way that Real Madrid have future-proofed their midfield. Like if Chiromani and Camavinga stay relatively healthy, they have not got to worry about their positions for the next 10 years. Mm. And at that point, it starts looking like a really good return on an investment. But yeah, it's a hell of a lot of money goodness it is a lot of it's money a lot, man it's a hell of a lot of money i mean it's 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 wild like it's a wild amount of money that's not you know it's not look past that so in terms of this season's transfer spend really really interesting for all <laughs> for all of the shit arsenal seem to have taken for spending a load of money mm. they're the ninth biggest spenders in the premier league this window uh chelsea top they've spent 253 million pounds manchester united have Second, these are this is gross, but even on net spend, it's kind of wild. Apart from Man City, Chelsea have, have spent two hundred over two hundred fifty million. Manchester United two hundred fourteen million. West Ham one hundred sixty four million. Spurs just over one hundred fifty million. Nottingham Forest one hundred fifty five million. And then Man City, Wolves, Newcastle, Arsenal, Leeds, Liverpool. You want to touch on Liverpool quickly? Just a good, uh, an okay sign in our tour. Needed, sensible, basically one that we don't really know is how it's going to work until we know how fit he's going to be. And that's why I'm worried about the signing. I'll tell you why I'm worried about it because a team of Liverpool's quality shouldn't be signing players who are like unsure about how it's going to go. Mm. Like exactly I would have loved to see them sign them. in terms of with, with my Liverpool hat on. If I was like a Liverpool fan, I'd love to put on a player like Paredes from PSG or Fabian Ruiz from Napoli. I thought those, mm. both those players fit in beautifully with how Klopp likes to play. I was so impressed with Paredes in a defensive context in the Champions League last year in particular. I just think that those are players that are much more ready kind of plug and play where you put them in and you know what's going on. And you brought in a player who's had injury problems to a midfield, which has had injury problems. And this is not a knock on Liverpool. It's not that. It's more like to keep pace with Man City or to recover pace from Man City, you just need to bring in a resilient player who you know is going to come in and be performing from the jump. And I think that those players, Paredes and Ruiz would have performed from the jump. And I just, I just feel like if you're signing midfielders this late in the window, there shouldn't be question marks. And there was a funny thing that Klopp said, like, you know, Klopp is, you know, obviously a tough guy and emotive guy. And he, it's not, it's not any sort of, it's not new to see him emotive in press conferences, but when he said you were wrong about a midfielder, about us, and you know, I was wrong about not needing a midfielder, we need to bring someone in. I was kind of like, like this was a thing that you knew was a challenge for a while. And it's, you know, it's, it's rare that I have cause to criticize Klopp 
in relation to recruitment issues, but this is one that it's so strange, isn't it? They had Oxley Chamberlain there, they had Naby Keita. They've had players who, if their bodies hadn't failed them, would have taken Liverpool to another level. And they haven't. And it's so strange how clubs have got these problem positions. And for Liverpool, it is that, isn't it? That midfield, that centre mid, particularly the eight spot is just, it's a little bit cursed for them. I'm not quite sure. I think they were in a position to solve it. You know, I think there was a DM issue as well, not just a, a mm. DM issue and, and an eight issue. I'm just a bit confused that they didn't do a bit better here, if I'm honest. For me, it's all about the fitness, right? Mm. Mm. And it's just like a player, you're bringing in a player because of fitness issues in the rest of your midfield or just like physical wear and tear. And fitness has been a challenge for him, which is again, mm. there's a career challenge. There's no, I have no question about the quality of these players in this division. It's just whether their bodies hold up, mm. you know. Um, and that's not because of the wear and tear of the Premier League, because of you know, pre-existing physical issues. So in short, has anyone won the window? <laughs> won the window. Um, I hate that phrase, to be honest, anyway. <laughs> Atalanta, hang on to Malinowski's big. It's big. I don't know how serious the uh, Spurs approach was or how, you know, how far it got down the line. The president basically kiboshed it. But that Atalanta keeping Malinowski, that would have been a needle-shifting transfer. So I think looking at this Premier League right now and the clubs that brought players in, it feels like a bit as you were. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Actually, I think that's the the most jarring thing about the amount of money that's been spent is that it hasn't really felt like anyone has been elevated to a, to a to a huge amount higher than they would have been had they not. Maybe apart from Forest, but I think for Forest, it's maybe a bit West Ham, like, Lucas Paqueta. Actually. Lucas Paqueta was good. Yeah, and he obviously and came. Skamaka. He, he, yeah, Skamaka. That that actually. Those two are really impressive, I think. Yeah, that could cost kick them a lot of money, though. Yeah. Like yeah. the Paqueta things, more, uh, more so. Forest have obviously been subject to a load of memes and a load of online bans, but they had 19 players leave, mm. I think. So they needed to replace them yeah. for the Premier League. Now, obviously, there's some ropey stuff going on with buying players and then loaning them to Olympiacos straight away, mm. which is just, I just don't like that whole shit when you use that network, Yeah, personally. But, you know, they need to stay in the division, Forrest. Mm. So maybe that gamble is going to be worth it. But again, it raises that thing that we were talking about at the top of this bit about the gap between the Premier League spending and the rest of Europe. And yeah. actually, the, we, we just, I, I think we kind of lucked out a little bit doing it ahead of the deadline day when we were doing the Bundesliga thing. But just without sounding like killjoys, because everyone loves a good transfer, but especially in the context of the country that it's taking place in and what's going on here at the moment in terms of an actual cost of living crisis. Or, and I know that it's different and maybe we shouldn't loop everything back into it, but it does make sense. It is related. Like It's a repeat of a point that we've said a lot of times on Stadio about how football exists within this bubble. And we thought that the pandemic was the... The, the point at where it realised, yeah, the level at where it realised that actually, no, it's not completely immune from the things that the rest of the world and society has to go through. But the Premier League has kind of just given a metaphorical, like, fuck you mm. in the aftermath of the pandemic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think if yeah. you look at how European football is shaping up, the importance on the Champions League has... I think become a direct effect from like the importance of or the the wealth of the Premier League, and I think a lot of it is so intertwined that yeah, 
actually probably a lot of what's going on at various domestic leagues within Europe is indirectly the fault of the Premier League. The drain. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, it's funny you should say that, and I, I, won't, I won't labour the point because it's something we were going to return to and have talked about before. The Champions League is so obviously the final frontier for the super wealthy clubs. And, you know, the one thing we're being spared, I think, is just the monopoly of the Champions League by, let's say, the two richest clubs in Europe and maybe like PSG. We've been spared that because Real Madrid have basically put together an almighty run. And they're kind of doing us a favour because they're stopping us from having to look in the mirror at what, at what this has become. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think We've said this a thousand. Does that make sense? Yeah, we've said this a million times. I think people know our thoughts on stuff like that. And it's just like, we don't have the answers. We don't know what the answer is. The, the only thing is, is like we talked about how grim the Premier League feels into this like never-ending jug- juggernaut of more, more, more. And then when you actually see it down there, like in writing, the Premier League has grossly spent over a billion pounds more than its next than the next biggest spending league and grossly spent and net spent over a million uh, over a billion pounds more than the next closest net spending league it's a bit like yeah this is all very well and good for people who only care about the Premier League Mm. but this is why we were so against the Super League because it's like well yeah but what about you're only talking about 20 clubs Mm. and what about the rest yeah but actually what's going on and a lot of people are it's very popular at the moment to say, well, you know, we've already got a Super League, it's the Premier League. But like, yeah, they're not, they're not wrong. When you have clubs in the second tier of English football with higher wage bills than people competing for league titles in Italy or Germany or whatever, yeah. you've got a big fucking problem. Yeah. I know that there have been big windows before where clubs have spent a load of money. And I know that various leagues up until recently have had m- moments where they've, the go-to league that have spent that have spent the most money. We saw a load of those world record transfers. I mean, PSG, for example, and Real yeah. Madrid did it, and Serie A in the nineties when Milan were breaking transfer records left. Lazio right as well. Lazio did yeah, it. Very, like so, it's happened. But I think that now the gap is so big. It's so big. And this felt different. This felt different. Like the huge amounts of money for relatively untested players. I'm not knocking for Farno or Anton. It's not about knocking them. It's like when we saw huge signings before, we could almost, I mean, when Mendieta went to Lazio for a huge amount, Mendieta had just come off the back of like an all-time run at Valencia, an all-time run. We'd seen it. We'd seen the, the thing that concerns me about the new outlay is even the entry level the entry level, right? The base level is like, whoa. Like that's now the benchmark. Like you're paying a hundred million for 22 year old who's brought like, you're, you're paying like, you know, 80 million for like a 21 year old. That's like, that's wild, Ryan. That's wild. Like, and if you look at those in relation to like, that's a hundred, you look at the world record for a player is 222 million, right? For a player, Neymar, who was an all time Neymar had the ability, when Neymar, when he was signed by PSG, very plausibly could have ended up at top five all time. He won't because he lost momentum, he lost altitude, yes. But I think he had the potential to go into top five all time. I think he was that good. I really believe that. Like, Oh, he was, it was, it was all set up for him it to was, go. Yeah. Absolute, now here's the point, right? Anthony cost about 40% of that. 40% of that. That's unbelievable. If you're where Anthony is in his career or where Fafana is, 
you shouldn't be costing 40% of like an all-time record, like transfer fee. That is what has been really wild. It's not that the top level has gone up. It's the base level has shifted by such an absurd degree. And that's the challenge. Yeah. Maybe we should wrap it there because we're killing everyone's transfer buzz. But it's just when, you, indeed, when you look yeah. at everything that's going on at the moment, you look at like the, not even like the Premier League spending just in isolation compared to that. Because if you look at any sports spending in isolation, it's going to make you feel grim. But I just yes. think, I think if you look at it in comparison to the rest of the leagues around Europe, yeah, that's when it's just like, well, what the, what the hell can you actually do? Yeah, and it's not even yeah. like a couple of hundred million or whatever. It's like over it's a, a billion. It's fast. It's fast, yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, maybe we should wrap on a positive thing because the transfer of the summer for me was Javon Anderson going from Lazio to Oxford United, subject to a work permit for an undisclosed free on a one-year contract. And he said, it's always been my biggest dream to play in England. <laughs> Dreams can come true, everyone. That's all you need to remember. It's funny because I looked at this and actually like you look at the place he's been out on loan. Uh, it's not the worst, in terms of his like, expertise and what he brings, actually it's not the worst transition. It's mm. just that he's been at Lazio for that time. And yeah, there is a story to be told about, you know, looking through the garden, the garden did a brilliant um, rundown of all the transfers. And you just think of like, so it's almost it's 1,800 players, I think have moved pretty much. You're thinking, this is 1,800 players off on completely new journeys. You know, some are, they've had like, you know, careers in the lower league, some are like big signings, but just like the kind of, I don't know if I would call it a romance about the transfer window, but just there's a, there's a certain bravery as a footballer in just getting up and, you know, not much moving town, moving country. And like every transfer window, you're reminded, I was just looking at my God, like every single one of these players has got a story. They're going on to like, something better, something worse. They're getting the last big payday. You've got some players who've had like a couple of loan signings that haven't worked out and they're just hoping that this third or fourth one will be the one that really kicks off for them. And I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but I was looking at like these listeners just going like, eventually like the bulk of transfers I saw, I was just like, good luck. I hope this one works out. There's so many players who are like, you know, promising under 21 international, 24 years old, looking at this and I'm just like, God, I hope this works out. Like this is obviously this could be the one that makes or breaks your career. So yeah, I suppose my closing note is uh, Godspeed and good luck. Well, what a note to end it on. Godspeed and good luck, everyone. Yeah, there we go. Until, until Monday. Don't forget to check Righty's House if you haven't already and check the Stadio Outros plays on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on... Well, this, is, this is very topical. By Boots for Dancing, the track is called Money. Thin on the ground. Uh, anything you want to add, Musak Wonga? Nothing further. All good. In that case, then, much love, everyone. Have a lovely weekend, and we will be back with you on Monday. See you then.
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 